welcome to the Young Actors Theatre Camp Podcast. I am here with Sean Ryan, and by the way, I am AJ Hamilton. It is so good to see you, AJ. I just flew in from the other coast, and boy, are my arms tired. Yep, 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 yep. I just got back. I don't know what you did this this Halloween weekend, mm-hmm. but I got to see our dear friend Sav Souza. In oh my gosh, how are they? Their Broadway debut of 1776. It was absolutely stellar. They, I mean, of course, the show yeah. is revolutionary. Everyone needs to see literally. this show. It's literally. I mean, it's just amazing. It's all trans and non-binary and mm-hmm. female actors who are in these roles that were, of course, written for men. Mm-hmm. Uh, in I think it was in the 70s, and this is the first revival to be done. It's stellar, but salve. Mm-hmm. I could mm-hmm. not. I literally, even in like jokes, I was still crying <laughs> because I was just so moved so to proud. see them on stage in their Broadway debut. It was absolutely tremendous. I, know. I, re- I remember seeing them for the first time at, at camp, and I, I was like, they are going somewhere. Literally. Absolutely. Nine years old. Yep. I think by the time they were 12, they came to me and said, they came with like a huge duet that they wanted to do from Legally Blonde. Mm. And it was sort of just when Legally Blonde became available to the masses with yeah. sheet music and all that. Back right. in the day, children, we had <laughs> sheet music. And Sav came and said, I want to do this. And I was like, I don't know if Sav's voice can handle Elle Woods right now. Like, mm-hmm. this is pretty big. Sure enough, we went out into that field for a one-on-one coaching <laughs> and belted. And I was just like, oh, this kid's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And to see now almost more than a decade later... Starring on Broadway. It was just so freaking cool. cool. What did you do for your it, Halloween weekend? Well, the weekends, actually. Multiple multiple parties, multiple things. I got uh, to dress up as uh, uh, my favorite pirate, uh, Jack Sparrow. You stop it. I was a pirate. No. Yes. What? I was not, I was not Jack Sparrow. <laughs> I'm going to need you to look at my costume and give me some ideas so I could reuse it next year. I, I, yeah. I was a decent pirate. I was a decent sure, pirate. Sure, sure. Tell me about your Jack Sparrow. Well, you know, um, I you you have to to really get in the the mindset of the man, you know, being on the the <laughs> deserted islands for sixty days with nothing to drink at all. Did Johnny Depp just walk into the studio? <laughs> get out of here! Get out of here, Johnny! You're not a yeah. podcast host. Wow! <laughs> so you got to just like be in the character, play the character the so whole time. So fun! So yeah, absolutely. Got got to you know people were asking for uh, for photo ops and stuff like that, and they would be like, "Can we do a video?" And I was like, "Of course, but, of course. Uh, yeah, so why not?" My favorite photo op <laughs> opportunity that I ever got to do. My best, uh, one of my besties, uh, Michelle Mullen. She works mm-hmm. for Disney. She's uh, high up Fantastic. at Disney. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. She took me to the park. I was a VIP all day. It was amazing. It was right when the Incredicoasters opened. Mister Incredible who I'm assuming was some wonderful, you know, gay college kid from UC Irvine, <laughs> took a shine to me, oh, shall we say. Sure. So in the photo op, Mr. Incredible mm-hmm. paid me a lot of attention and did not pay <laughs> Michelle any attention. Michelle might as well have been invisible at this uh, point. Or invisible girl. Invisible girl. Yeah. This was my, I mean, I love the Incredible so much. <laughs> and of course, Mr. Incredible is like my dad crush. Sure. Like. I love this franchise so, so, so much. It leads us into our guest today. It does. Could not believe that Jeanette oh. Penley Marker and Craig Marker, I mean, they swung for the fences with these guests. For real. They invited John Walker, the creator of The Incredibles, and his incredible wife, who is just this amazing <laughs> actress, Pamela Gay Walker, mm-hmm. to come and do a masterclass at YTC. I don't know about you, but I feel like when 
kids hear that creatives are coming to camp. Of course, like Sutton Foster comes to camp. They're like, oh my gosh, Sutton Foster, I love her. <laughs> but when it's these creatives like Andrea Meyerson, amazing mm-hmm. producer, um, Black Entertainment Television Network VP, Maureen mm-hmm. Guthman. Right. Sometimes these are the teachers that are opening the kids' eyes up so much more than the people that we worship on stage or in, on film or TV because we're so like distracted by the fact that it's like Sutton Foster teaching me how to sing. I can't sure. even like think about doing that. So here are John Walker mm-hmm. and Pamela Gay Walker probably actually I'm gonna say definitely the most talked about masterclass we've ever had for real for real no I mean the kids lined up for for those questions and I think it's so important that they see the entire view of show business you know not just what's on camera you know what's on the screen that they see what's possible behind the screen behind the um the the writing the producing the all of it you know and that he really i mean she continued to be an amazing actor who went into oh, education yes he started as an actor who went into creation and literally mm-hmm. created one of the most incredible i know that's so no bad that i keep doing use that for any <laughs> other adjectives none well is it like i we should have asked him that question like john do people always use the word incredible to describe you but the incredibles i mean mm-hmm. come on and the incredibles too it's amazing yeah speaking of incredible before we turn you over to this amazing episode <laughs> please craig marker and jeanette penley marker so cool the, the coolest thank you for doing this because it opened all of our eyes enjoy today's episode <laughs> take it away Today, we have a couple of friends we want to share with you. Yeah, so years ago, I did a show uh, in the Bay Area with one of our guests today, and then her husband, uh, we met along the way, and uh, Jeanette works at Pixar Animation Studios, and he just happens to have been involved in a few Pixar projects himself. But we want to introduce Miss Pamela Gay Walker and her amazing husband, Mr. John Walker. Bring him down. Welcome, welcome. Extra camp welcome. Yes. Oh, there we go, there we go. So, Craig, tell us about how you first met Pam. What was the show and what did you do? Uh, we were doing a show called Brooklyn Boy at Theater Works, which was in Palo Alto. Yeah. And you knew the director, yeah. uh, Joy Carlin. Right. And I knew of Joy, but then we did the run and got to know each other more and not long after Jeanette had a baby and yeah. ended up at Pixar and there was a whole other connection with And it was Pixar. really funny because it was not connected to us knowing each other at all it was just we just happened to both work there yeah. yes yeah so we we started off as as actors and right. um and we moved on from there and but. Joy Carlin the director of that play was a teacher of his at ACT so we met in college, we've known each other for over 40 years, and uh, we did plays together in college and professionally for many years, and Joy was one of his teachers at ACT. So when we first moved from Chicago to LA and then up to the Bay Area, first thing I did was write notes to people that I knew, and I knew Joy Carlin's name, and I, I actually met her when he was a student at ACT. This is. American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, you may know. And, um, and so she was one of the first directors to hire me professionally when um, I came to the Bay Area. That's and amazing. then there was Craig. And then we met, and <laughs> it was chat. all amazing from there. Right. And, okay. 
Well, I was just going to say, so the, the background of who we have up here. So Pam has experience as an actress, as a screenplay uh, or screenwriter. screenwriter. Uh, she writes plays, directing, producing, whether extra, ands, 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 uh, a lot in the industry. And then John is also generated from uh, acting background, like we're saying at ACT, and that moved on, and, and you found a, a home producing almost by accident. Um, yeah, uh, we'll get to that because that's know, really interesting. Um, and so you that. may you may know more of, of John's background as the producer of The Incredibles and Incredibles Two at Pixar. So, uh, do you guys know that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. So that that's kind of the the background in the arts that we're talking about. Uh, all aspects of what a lot of you are here for, and maybe even on the producing side, what you don't even know you you know or what you don't know about the artistic side of what we do. That's one thing I want you guys to think about when you're listening to these guys today, is the arts and entertainment industry is vast. There, it is, there are so many opportunities in the arts and entertainment industry. So that's one of the things I really want you guys to key in on today. Um, but now, Jan, John and Pam, looking out at, to this audience and to these young chaps, what was it for you when you were kids? Like, what was it that made you want to go into acting when you were younger? Well, did it start young, or did you not well, start I, young? Well, I was actually... Um, a cheerleader and a gymnast in high school. We didn't, the theater department was not much of anything in South Bend, Indiana, where I grew up. So, and then I did meet a theater director when I was in my mid-teens, I guess, and I was really interested in it because I felt like I had been in rehearsal and performing in some way since I was 11 in cheerleading. And, um, and the guy was kind of a local guru, and he would not let me audition for plays because he said what I was already doing would, is too competitive and I really needed to be serious. So it really wasn't until I first got to college that I did my first real show. I had performed in other kind of skits and things and sang and, and danced, but... Uh, but performed in your own way, cheerleading and, and the rest. Cheerleading and yeah. probably yeah, were the best stuff. one out. And, yeah. and you know, in, in those days, there were no competitive sports for for girls. So that's all I had. I had to cheer the guys on. Hmm. That was it. What about you, John? Uh, well, I, I started at your age. I'm in, in you know, and really liking it. And uh, but it, it, it's funny. I never I never met anyone until I was in my, in college, so I was like 22, that made their living as an artist. And so even though I loved doing it in school, I, I, it didn't seem like it was anything that I could actually do for a living. That just seemed like crazy. You know, people that did that were from Mars. I mean, they, did, they, didn't, they weren't from little towns in Illinois. That, that what didn't seem like that it was possible. And one of the great things about what you guys are doing here is that you have this co constant interaction with people that do it for a living. And that's, that's invaluable, the, the fact that you can see that and see it as something that you could actually do for the rest of your life and have examples of that. That's, that's a gift that these folks are, are giving you. And, and oh, yeah. you know, 
hang on to that. I'm because, sure you know yeah. the training you're getting now is just fa fantastic. Because yeah. it, it, doesn't, it, it, it yeah. doesn't happen for a lot of people. A lot of people still can't get their heads around the fact that it's a, something real in the world, that people actually do it, that, that, that those people on the screen or on the stage are just like you. So rock on. And speaking to that, so neither of you had a, um, there, there wasn't necessarily that role model no. that you could look to and say, or the, the training program or this, that it was like, oh, that's who I emulate that you can talk to. What helped develop that for you? Or was there some influence for you individually that helped that at, at your time? You didn't have well, a, a YATC. Well, because I always wanted to do plays and they wouldn't allow me to, so I go to college and they were auditioning for West Side Story. And because I was kind of singing and dancing in some form or fashion, I went to the initial call, and then uh, I kind of freaked out. I think I went back to my dorm room, and it was just like, uh, I can't, you know, I sang. I actually sang for the audition. And then I, I took a nap, or I was kind of depressed, like, what was I thinking? And I found out I got a call back, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll go back. And... Um, and I went back and I played this amazing part in this amazing show. You all know West Side Story. And uh, got to do major dancing and singing and m met kind of the beginnings of my new family. You know, I kind of have a little bit of a dysfunctional family growing up. And so when I found the theater, it was like, <gasps> my twin sister found horses. I found the theater. My brothers <laughs> found their passions. But... Oh, I was home. You know, a lot of you have already probably probably experienced that, but you get that. You mm -hmm. get that. People say, you know, when did you get the bug? And I just felt like, oh, this is my life. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I I I could attest to that same same thing. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any of that that person that you could you glam onto, but you find your family, mm -hmm. and then you just you just keep going. Did you, John, have anyone that, or is it similar story that you just? No, it just felt it felt always felt like home. It always mm -hmm. felt like that's where I belong, doing that stuff. But it never occurred to me that I could could continue that after school. Yeah, you know. And it wasn't until I got to ACT and I went to the actor training program at, at ACT for a couple of years out of college that I, I I've got really serious about trying to make it do it as, for a living. Well, he and I were dating before ACT, though, and we were both, I was a theater major, he was an English major, and we did all these shows in college, and we, I think we were serious about endeavoring in the theater, because I went off to do then a, a conservatory in, in New York City um, called Circle in the Square, and then he went to ACT, and then we, I kind of commuted back and forth uh, to um, see him, and, you know, the world had totally expanded for us. But we had always had the intentions of being in the theater, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the decision was after college for me. It was like, yeah. it was what it, well, now graduating from college and what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And <laughs> I thought, I think maybe I'll try this. You know? yeah. so, and, and, but one thing that in my career was being open to other things besides just acting. I mean, the, the theater world and the entertainment business is huge and acting is a great way in. But there is all sorts of other jobs, and I I always just wanted to be in show business. I loved show business, and I, you know I would I was a stage manager, and I worked in the box offices, and I did you know tech work, and I did I just wanted to be a part of it, and 
I got curious about how, how, how it actually worked. I mean, how did any of this ever get put together? Who, who's paying for all this? Yeah. You know, I'd be in a play and I'd go, where, where I'd get a paycheck and I'd go, how, how, where did this come from? You know, how did this work? And, and I, I, so I started hanging Box around. office, donors. Yeah, yeah. Started, <laughs> Audience, you know. people. I started doing that. You know, I started working in all those things and, and getting really intrigued by it and realizing that a lot of the people that did it weren't very good at it. Hmm. And I thought, well, I, Lord, I could do as good a job as this guy, you know. You mean and managing and producing? Managing and, oh. be, and producing. I, and that's how I got started to move my career more in that, that direction. And... I think that was a good idea. <laughs> I was always an okay actor, but I was not that good. Well, it worked out. <laughs> well, what, what, now, what happened after ACT? You guys, did you, is that when you guys went back to Chicago? Or? So, okay. I kind of wanted to, I think I wanted to go back to New York. This is a, a while back. Uh, but um, JW's parents, John Walker, JW's parents, lived in the suburbs of Chicago. And you may know Chicago has a very, very good theatrical industry, probably second only to New York. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so we went back to visit his parents. We talked to some agents in town because they have a, every city's different, but in Chicago you, you have a day, like Wednesday was a new actor check-in time, and from 12 to 2 you could go in with your resume, and of course you're, you, you, even when you're starting out, you have to be proud of what you have, and we put something together, you know, majored in theater at Notre Dame and went to Circle in the Square, and here's the plays I did. And the agents were both, were all very enthusiastic about us, and so we kind of stayed and stayed and started working, had kids. I mean, it's a long story, but Jeanette, what how, well, how do you want to Well, and didn't say? I read somewhere that you guys got engaged on stage? Yeah, that's a good story. I want to hear that. <laughs> that's a good story. So we were, are you going to tell it or not? You'd start. So we were, we were working at a Summerstock Theater in Wisconsin, not unlike this place. It was an old Boy Scout camp, but it had, uh, and we would go up in May. Beautiful, like beautiful this. Beautiful place, right on Lake Michigan, and we had 40 or 50 members of the company, and the we Professional did, company yeah. is we're union actors. We had a big 600-seat theater. And I had worked there for, and, and the guy that owned it was the producer at ACT in San Francisco. And he gave me my first job, my first equity job. And so I was working as an actor there. And, and Pam uh, came up and auditioned for the next season. And sh they cast us together in Children of a Lesser God, which was a, I don't know if you know that story, but, or th that play and movie, but it's about, we had to learn sign language to do it because it's, Plays done in sign I wouldn't language. play it now because they would hire deaf actors to do it, but I got to play the lead part of this deaf uh, character and learn sang sign language for the whole play. And his character was a teacher, and he not only learns sign for his part, but he interpreted all of my lines for the audience. So it was huh. one of the top five plays that I think was a tour, real tour de force. And... Um, it, rightfully, deaf actors should play those parts now, but you know, so the, we were kind of far removed from commercial theater, and so the producer argued that he needed to cast in the company. That was back in the day. Mm. Anyway. So anyway, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. opening night. It's uh, Pam's 
Equity, Equity, Actors' Equity Association is the union for actors in the theater. It's her equity debut. It's our curtain call. It's a big theater, 600-seat theater. And I had been trying to work up the courage to ask her <laughs> to marry me for some time. And at the curtain call, uh, we're bowing. And we stopped bowing, and I signed to her, will you marry me? And sign. And, and she... Uh, didn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, we were taking our bows. Are you improvising? <laughs> what, are, what are you doing, John? <laughs> so she finally said yes backstage. But the, uh, the, I, one of the uh, photographer from the, the new, local newspaper knew something was up because there was commotion and there was a weird inter interchange. And so he called the next day and wrote a story about it and took our picture. And so 20 years later, JW, for our anniversary, took me back to that theater. By now, we were living in California, right? And we flew yeah. back to um, northern Wisconsin in the middle of winter because we got married in December. And he took me back on stage. The whole theater was boarded up. Hmm. And he he gave me this ring, this not this ring, but another diamond ring that I wore like two nights on stage when I played uh, Elvira in Blythe Spirit, if you know that play. A, a local jeweler had loaned me this big diamond, and I'd never seen anything like it. Like, yeah, and I like had heard about that. It cost as much as, as like a half of a year of our salary, right? <laughs> and so, and I, but I had talked about it for 20 years. Yeah, so I heard he, about that ring for 20 years. <laughs> and, so, and so for our 20th anniversary, I tracked that ring down oh, wow. and found, I, I called all the jewelers. Oh. Wow. In, in Door County, Take Wisconsin. Take notes, Craig. Take notes. Yes. And uh, and all of them said they. they I said, listen, I, I about 20 years ago, a, a jeweler in Door County lent my wife a ring to use in a play, and they're going, we weren't even open 20 years ago. Wow. And so if I got the last one, and I did my spiel, and the woman said, oh, 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 Pam's ring. I said. Yeah, that's right. Yes, Pam's ring. And she goes, oh, my, my husband made two of those rings that year. I love that ring. I remember it so well. But I, we have one left, but I was going to give it to my daughter. And, and I said, well, you know, I'd kind of like to give it to her for our 20th anniversary. And she says, okay, all right, I'll sell it to you. So, <laughs> so we, get up, we get up on stage, and he gives it to me. And I hadn't seen it in 20 years. And our, you know, my taste and my priorities changed over 20 years. And I opened up the box, and I was like, Oh my God, that's, that's the, the ugliest ring I've ever seen. That's the ugliest ring I've ever seen. <laughs> and Jay Dunn, well, wait a minute. He looked at it and he was like, that's the ugliest ring I've ever seen. Oh, <laughs> my God. But, and I melted it down and got another, <laughs> another setting. And he never let me the live that down. But anyway, we're not, we're not teaching you anything. I know. I, I, silly I was story, so. But it was a great story. Um, all right. So moving on. Um, so... You guys, you got married, you had two beautiful daughters, and you kept going with the acting career. What, what was kind of the next, I mean, you were in theater for a while. Were you still acting, or were, were you going into other things at this point? Well, for a while in Chicago, uh, I always wanted to be John Wilkes Booth without the assassination, because he, he had his own acting company and managed it. He was an actor, That's the guy who assassinated Lincoln, uh, Abraham, President yeah. Lincoln. And anyway, so... So we did, we did that for a while in Chicago. I, we had sort of companies, and I managed them and acted a little bit, but I, I, I stopped acting and started concentrating on managing and producing. And so Pam was still acting at many theaters in Chicago, also the theaters that I ran. And We tried yeah. as much as possible to work together because 
the demands of keeping a relationship together and they and being in the theater they each take about 120 percent and then we complicated our lives with children but the good thing about that is you know when you make your choices as an actor when you play a scene you know the most positive choice is to use love right and our the the love that we knew in the world became much deeper when we had children. We, we, we knew a kind of love we'd never known before. So there's something extra that I could play, which was nice. So whatever your choices are, you know, you might not want to have kids. That's fine, too. But for, for me, I knew I wanted to do that, and I, I had to figure out a way how to juggle it all. And I have actually have a second draft of a memoir that I'm actually writing for young actors actually uh, you know stories about how we held it together and yeah. tried to do it all you know yeah. that's great well and that's a big thing you've touched on a couple of things that i'm always fascinated by is you had each other and sometimes it's a matter of a relationship um, or it's a partnership whether it's a producing partner or a writing partner or something that you have in this business like i tell a lot of kids in our, our classes that you may not see these people, uh, you, this scene partner you have may not be the actor you work with down the road, but they may be a producer, or you may decide, you know what, we have an idea we created at camp, and then you go to winter camp and write a screenplay and then produce it. So how did it work for you finding each other and be able to navigate the journey, not just of life, but of a life in the arts? Well, sometimes it's... Uh, being tenacious and persistent and even now in this moment after moving from Chicago then LA to the Bay Area um, and JW just retired from Pixar right before uh, COVID hit um, after being there for over 20 years and us going back to work together in this two-person play that we did in San Francisco and LA, and kind of putting out the message that we really, really would like to work together now in this chapter of our lives. And not everybody is going to want to hire both of us. Because we've worn many hats, uh, we're able to produce our own shows. We can say, that's okay, we don't need you guys, we can, we can do this. And what, what I often tell my students is, you know, learn how to write. Learn how to produce. You don't have to sit and wait around for somebody to hire you. And that's one of the great advantages of you being here and starting so young is that you can learn all the things that we have learned. And, you know, there's always going to be downtime and pick up the, your pen and learn how to write a screenplay, which is what I did when we moved to L.A. And I started doing some TV and film and some theater in L.A., and I, I took my first screenwriting class, and I loved it. I could play all the parts. You know, it's <laughs> not that, I mean, once you really know how to act, you can get, go deep into your playwriting or screenwriting. You know, it's just about, uh, you know, using yourself, for instance, when you start, write a monologue, and then, then write another character that opposes what your character says, and then you've got a scene before you know it. You learn the plot points on how to write a screenplay, and before you know it, that, that's what I did. I first, when I first wrote my first play, it just started writing itself. I knew the characters. I knew where they were coming from, and the dialogue just started happening in my brain, and it was so joyful that I didn't have to 
beg somebody for a job, you know. I didn't have to get up and audition even, but I could create this stuff and play all these characters and actually know it so well that I could go direct it, you know. I wanted to kind of touch a little bit on that about being a woman in the industry and how that, you know, I talk a lot about this in my class too. It's, a, it's interesting if you even look around the room here at camp and you look at, um, you know, women versus men or girls versus boys or, you know, there is a different, the society is definitely changing, I will say that, but for a long time there, you'd go to an audition, I know for me going to an audition, if it, they were casting for male and female roles, I would see 20 women in the room for one role, and I would see two men in the room for two roles, you know, and it was a much different industry for women, and so tell me a little bit about navigating that that you had in your journey, but then what you touched on, what I thought was really great, is what I wanted to really focus for you guys, is that if you aren't finding the roles out there for you, they're not happening, you have the, the capability of creating it, creating your moment, creating your career. And Pam really has a great way she did that too. So if you could touch a little bit on that. I do want to say that it has gotten better. Yes. I want to reiterate that for women, because when I was coming up, it was very hard and frustrating. And um, I felt that the agents had a bit of a, when they found out I was a mother all of a sudden, and I looked super young. I've always looked much younger than I am. And that was hard because they were like, all of a sudden, like, what are we going to do with her? You know, we thought she was a teenager. Now she's a mom, you know. And that is another impetus for me getting up and learning how to write and producing with him and directing and filling in my time and and I still I still acted you know I still got hired but part of it is just really wanting to work with him and we have these the shared interests and we have a lot of knowledge now and and it, we've had the luxury with him getting a break in show business so that we had the means to go out and make our own stuff so there were there was a lot of Hard work and luck, I guess. I and know. then you were talking about the ideas and, and writing, and sometimes they just write themselves. Do you have ideas that you bounce off of each other? Is that part of, of the partnership? Or is there more no. like, I do this, and then <laughs> that's it? I'm kind of territorial about no, it. Oh, that's great. And, yeah. um, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, so, I, well, I'll tell you real quick. Um, so JW and I, you know, ha hadn't acted together for 20 years, and then... Right when he was done with The Incredibles 2, um, somebody asked me to do this play, The Empty Nesters, and they came with an entourage of people to our house, the director, another actor, and some money people, I guess. And, and we read the play, and JW was over in the corner laughing and crying, listening to the play, and finally I, I said to the guy, I would be interested in doing this if you would audition him. Mm. And we hadn't acted together in 20 years, and we've probably done 25 shows together professionally in our life. And um, so they came back a week later, auditioned him. They hired us. We did the play. Then we, we bought the rights after we did the first run as producers. And then we, that's when we produced it in San Francisco a couple times and in L.A. And it did pretty well. We were really enjoying the process. So then we bought the film and TV rights from the playwright. And I went ahead and adapted it as a film. So I wrote the screenplay, then we hired a development person who, and we all decided that it should be a TV show. So then 
I wrote the pilot and the synopsis for eight or 10 episodes and kind of synopsis for the second and third season, which is what they want. It's, and I have right here a little show and tell. This is kind of called the Pitch Bible. What, what is a Pitch Bible and why do you have it or need it? It's about a 20-page document. It's created by Pam Walker, and it's got the overall synopsis and then the cast of characters. Sometimes you put in, like, stars that you could see playing the parts. I use pictures of our family for the kids and pictures of JW and I because if and when we go down to L.A., we're pitching ourselves as part of the cast, right? And then I'm friends with Rita Moreno, if you know the original... Uh, Anita and West Side Story. So she's she may help out and play a part. There's probably a little bit of animation in it. There's there's pictures of the locations that I wrote the show in, in Chicago and the Grand Canyon. Um, it's a very pretty booklet. You can't really see the season one overview. I actually brought uh, the, a rough draft, so it doesn't. It's not the full thing with the beautiful pictures. But then season one pilot, and it's got the synopsis. You know, it's just a, a some beautiful visual you go in and then you give your 10-minute presentation. And so. the purpose is that this helps sell the project, right? right? It's not just, oh, hey, I've got an idea. It's actually, hey, here's the idea as fully formed as we can present to you without extra money and, and producing things of, uh, all right, give me something that will produce a 15-minute like trial run or something, right? That it's, this is what you would go into an office and say, here's my idea. And it's not just the idea, it's here's all the background to how to how make, to make this it, work. How to make it happen, yeah. Yeah, which is phenomenal. And that's something like a pitch Bible. Well, now you know what a pitch Bible is. And I, you, the first time I saw one, which is like 10 years ago, uh -huh. I, was, I was like, oh my God, I could never do that. It was so beautiful and it was so daunting looking at this thing. And I actually did it. So I'm yeah. like patting myself on the back, which you all will do, I'm sure, with all the many things. Thank you. That, it's just that like what you, you make do in school, in you guys. This still goes on. So pay attention yes. to those projects wearing, you have in school. <laughs> wearing many, many hats, though, is a way to survive it. It was like direct, act, write, you know, produce. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. the word produce. Here we produce. go. What is a producer? What do they do? We talk about producing yes. in both in the theater and film and like what does a producer, what is the producer's job? Do you want to take that, John? <laughs> I'll take that one. So everybody wonders what producers do. You know, oftentimes uh, I, I try to, to make it short and sweet. I, I partner with a director. The director makes notes. The producer makes decisions. And... You know, I think that most uh, sort of communal creative projects, whether they're dance or theater or cinema or, you know, uh, orchestras, that they're, they're often run, uh, the structure is often a, a partnership at the very top. And that's, you know, in, in a regional theater, that's an artistic director and a managing director. Or on a film, it's a director and a producer. But oftentimes that partnership is uh, is what runs those big collective communal artistic projects. And the, the division of labor is usually, you know, the, the director is more uh, on the artistic side, the producer is more on the business marketing, you know, hire and fire decisions. And the, but oftentimes that partnership, you know, goes back and forth. I mean, 
the, part, the director that I partnered with a lot was uh, Brad Bird, and we worked together for almost 20 years on four or five films, and, and you know, we had worked out a pretty good partnership about how to, how to run those big, those big organizations, because those, you know, a Pixar film has four, 500 people on it at, the, at its peak, and that, that's, that's a lot of stuff to, to, to manage, and it's tough for, you know, just one person to be at the top of that, that running those kinds of shows. So that partnership, and you'll find it everywhere in the, in the artistic world, and I think it works pretty good, works pretty well. So it's an that's, interesting thing, that it, like, that we keep hitting that note about partnership and how important that is, whether it's a partnership between the two of you or it's a partnership within the business. Right. That's an interesting note. No, note for you guys to take, too, that, like, they're, like, look around you to the person next to you. You might be their partner in something in your career and life, and it's really important to establish these relationships with each other because you could be working together later in life. So going into the producer route, it's such an interesting story how you started it becoming a producer. Can you talk about with with Brad and like the newspaper? Yeah, wasn't there something like that you had answered a or there was a, a line producer job for some animated company somewhere and you're like, oh well no it was what happened was, you know, we were we were working in the Chicago theater. I was running theaters, Pam was acting, and she had done a show at one of the theaters that I was running and a an agent from LA. I was also teaching there. That's another yeah, thing yeah. I feel to say that I may I'm a better actor because I like to teach once in a while. I get more than what I give. You know, it comes back from you guys. So an agent had seen her performance and said, Listen, if you if you ever come to Los Angeles, I'll represent you. And so Pam came home from the theater that night and said, Guess what, honey? We're moving to LA. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. That's kind of that's kind of a joke about how that went, but yeah, more or less more I was, less, I was raring to go. I said, Well, we have these we have these two kids and we're you know, we you know, we're kind of well established here in Chicago. Really, are we gonna move to Los Angeles? Yeah, we're going. It's time to go. And so Pam went first and I stayed in Chicago with our daughters, and every few weeks, I would go out to Los Angeles. I got a movie right away, too. Yeah. Yeah. Within two months, I did a really great part in a movie, and we commuted for about seven months, and finally, he was like, I don't know, maybe she's serious, maybe I better start <laughs> maybe I better interviewing. get a job. So I started looking for work, and, and I just went to Los Angeles, and when the great thing about Los Angeles and the film business and the television business is people will meet with you. And that was that surprised me because in the theater it's not always that way, and I, I I could get meetings with all sorts of people, and I would go in and say, you know, my wife really wants to live in Los Angeles. I need a job, <laughs> and they'd all go, well, we can't help you, but here's you know, here's somebody else. And it, it took me about a year, but after about a year, I had an interview, had two interviews, one for running a theater in, in Los Angeles, the and the Gaffin. other. The oh, Gaffin Theater, small theater and, and, no big. and one was running, uh, being an associate producer on The Iron Giant at Warner Brothers. An and I want to interject and say that he was the president of the League of Chicago Theaters and just really put in his time as a theater manager. So by the time he got to L.A., the new Chicago newspapers had written like love letters to, to him that he was leaving Chicago, and that didn't hurt because he had a little packet of stuff like I would take my reviews. His maybe. own little pitch Bible. Yeah, right. Right. Yes. I, I didn't take a resume. I didn't do a resume. I just brought press clippings because I had a lot of That's press right. stuff from, yeah, yeah. from Chicago. I had a lot of in, uh, articles that were written about the theaters I ran. And so anyway, I had these two offers, and I remember talking to the, 
the guy who at the Geffen Playhouse, and I said, oh, you know, I've got this other offer at Warner Brothers to do this animated movie, and, and I remember- The Iron him, Giant. The Iron Giant, I remember him leaning across the desk and looking at me and goes, well, if you wanna make cartoons, and I went, you know, I think I kind of do. That sounds like a really great story, and it's something I've never done before, and I, I, I think I do. So I, I took that job. I took the job at Warner Brothers and started working on the Iron Giant, and I, was, I had a pretty good job. I was the, like the associate producer, which is sort of the sidekick producer, and I, I knew nothing about animation, nothing, except I liked it, and I... Within two weeks of starting that job, I realized that everything that I had done up to that point had prepared me to do that job. And it was like, really? It, and, and it was, it, it didn't make any sense to me, but it, it was right. I mean, I just knew that at, the stuff that I had done had just fallen into place in a way that I could never have predicted. And, and I tell that story because I think you never, you know, show business is really unpredictable, uh, but it can be unpredictable in a good way, too. It's like you, you, you stay open yeah, and say yes, right? Stay, stay open and you, you don't know where you're going to end up. And it was the best decision I've ever made was to, 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 to not stay in the theater, to go, even though I love the theater and, and I want to go back to it. But that but particular acting background great. is so great for so many yeah. things. He really wanted to stay in show business. So the opening night of the first Incredibles, he stood on stage with Brad Bird, the director, John Lasseter, the head of Pixar at the time, and Steve Jobs, we all know Steve Jobs, and, and JW had to speak in front of thousands and thousands of people at the, the premiere that night, and he took his background as an actor and, and was so charming and eloquent, and that all, I think, is attributing to the fact that he was a theater guy. Can I tell you a funny Steve Jobs story? Please do. Yeah, I, I, he was my boss for a long time, and I, I was not friends with S Steve. I, you know, but he was, and at this, uh, uh, but I knew him, you know, well well enough. And and we were at the uh, the the rap party and the premiere of The Incredibles, and I had this kind of corny thing planned, and I, and I, and I wanted Steve to be a part of it, and I. I said, Steve, I got this thing I want to do with this bottle of champagne, and it's a little corny. I don't know if you want to do it or not. And he, he goes, I sort of described it to him, and he went, no, I'm not going to do that. So it's fine. No problem. And, you know, so I, I had you know, four glasses for this champagne toast I was going to do with Steve, and he said he didn't want to do it. So I took one of those glasses away and then went through and told the story. And as I was telling it on stage, it was doing pretty well. People were liking this story, you know. It was people were laughing and they were like, "This is a pretty good story." And I remember looking in the wings and seeing, you know, because part of it was everybody was going to come out and I was going to pour this champagne. But now I only had three glasses because Steve didn't want to do it. But Steve came out anyway, right? So it was like now we've got four people, three glasses. <laughs> what am I going to do? So I I just had my toast out of the. Uh, the bottle of champagne. <laughs> but and Steve was I, always good about if something was doing well, he was going to be a part of it. And I yeah. want to tell you that him transitioning into feature animation from theater was a little miraculous. He did, you know, uh, his share of networking to get there. But by the time he got to Pixar, one of the brilliant things that he did that people talk about to this day was he he wanted to get to know the company and what everybody's job was. So he 
played the part of an intern for a week or something. I don't know what it was. You have to fill in the blank. But and and just did a little volunteered to do a little of everybody's job, and people were amazed by that. There was another woman that ended up becoming a producer, Catherine. Oh yeah. And she saw this. She didn't know him yet. She yeah, was like, "Who's the old intern?" <laughs> Um, I'm gonna have I'm gonna ask a little bit more, but if you guys want to start lining up for those who have questions, but John, if you could talk about going from Iron Giant to The Incredibles. Well, so we were we were working at Warner Brothers, and uh, Brad Bird, the director of, of The Iron Giant, his next project was The Incredibles, but it was supposed to be uh, we were supposed to do it at Warner Brothers, and it was going to be a hand drawn piece like Iron Giant, but Warner Brothers was not. They were not moving ahead with the project. And meanwhile, John Lasseter and Steve Jobs were calling Brad every day going, come to Pixar, man. We'll make your movie. Warner Brothers is not going to do it. You should come up here. And I'm going, no, 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 don't go to, don't go to Pixar. What, you know, they all, all they want is you. They've, if you go to Pixar, I'm out of a job. I'm going to stay here at Warner Brothers, where we started, you know. So I, but after a while, it became clear we weren't going to be able to do it at Warner Brothers. And so I said, you got to go. You got you to gotta go up there. And, but they're ne what do they need me for? I, you know, I'd never, I'd never produced a, a CG movie before. They had great producers there. What were they going to, what was I going to do? So... But but then they hired him, and our kids were still in school in L.A., so for three years he commuted. He got on Southwest three days a week and came back and forth and never complained because he didn't have to worry about finding the money for, to run a theater. Even the theater he ended up running in Chicago was a Tony Award-winning theater, and people were still worried about the money. You know, he got into mm -hmm. feature animation, and that was, that was the least of his worries. And so throughout our careers, to, to take advantage of our opportunities, there were times when we had to commute and live apart and, you know, make choices. And we were just committed to our family and making it work. So, yeah. All right. You know, Craig and I can go on and on with them, oh, but I yes. know we want to turn it over to you guys. So if you want to come up and introduce yourself, tell me your name, your age, and then fire away. Hello, I'm Layla, I'm 12, and I'm wondering what your guys' first play was together. What was your first, first play, play together? Great question, I Layla. think, well, Cauc in college. Caucasian Chuck Circle, wasn't it? Cauc so maybe Brecht, uh, Cauc Caucasian Chalk Circle. We did Fiddler on the Roof in college together. We probably did a handful of plays there, but professionally, Children of a Lesser God with the sign language. Dining room we did together. And then we did oh, wow. a ton of plays. Ton of plays. Fun, we did it, fun yeah. plays. Thank you for asking that yeah. question. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Layla. Uh, hi, I'm Alex. I'm 13. Um, and I was wondering what, like, your inspiration or, like, why you made uh, Violet the way that you did. Because <laughs> she you just... Have the character any of Violet. It, on it seemed Violet like you made her really me. well. Um, and she seems like a really interesting character, and I wanted to ask, yeah. like, the inspiration. Yeah, she's my favorite character, too, because she reminds me of my daughters, right? And, but yeah, the great thing about we the... We have a granddaughter named Violet, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Violet yeah. and my son, Jack, are in the same... It, like, weird connections that we have, yeah. but Violet and... Their granddaughter, Violet, and my son, Jack, are in the same uh, preschool Jake classroom. Yeah. yeah. 
but all, all the characters in The Incredibles, the family, their, their superpowers are who they are, right? Dad is this, you know, strong guy who's clueless and breaking <laughs> things all the time. You know, uh, Mrs. Incredible is a, a, a wife and a mother of three kids who has to stretch in a million directions because her husband is sort of checked out. Violet is a 13-year-old, you know, body-conscious young woman who wants nothing more than to hide and be invisible and have force fields to keep people away from her. You know, uh, Dash is a 10-year-old Ritalin kid. And, and, and the baby, the baby is nothing but possibility, right? You don't know what the baby's going to be, nothing or everything. So that, that's, you know, that's the, the, Violet is supposed to, her superpowers are supposed to represent, you know, what she's going through at that time in her life. And so her, she's always hiding behind her hair. She's always disappearing. She's always pushing. She needs people to take away. theater classes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that Come was the out idea. Of that shell. Right? Thank you. I love that. Hi, my yeah. name is Sina. I'm 16. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for being here and answering our questions. You don't know our how pleasure. you don't know how amazing it is that you're here. <laughs> like I'm in shock. Okay. <laughs> um, my question is: At what point did you decide to apply for like a protective program like SAG, AFTRA, EA, or like a guild? And how did you know you were at a level where you would be competitive for those programs? When we decided to become union members, yeah. basically, yeah. I think it was after college and acting school, and we were trying to build a life together that we thought, boy, it sure would be nice to be paid for this. And I okay. guess we just had the, the confidence to go forward, you know, I, I guess. Well, and also, those, 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 you can't just sort of apply for those unions, right? I'm not sure how it works, but you, yeah. You, no. you, you get, you know, a, a producer has to hire you. It's a catch-22, right? You can't get in the union without a job. You can't get a job without being in the union. Somebody wants to make you a union someone, member. Some, Somebody will hire you for a job. Someone has to hire you. And there's you. another way to get in with points, right? There's points, yeah. There's the, but most, most union members join the union because a producer has hired them. But you know what? That's a really good question because some people decide that they want to do this on the side and do some, something else for their paying gig and they don't want to become union members. But Yeah, sorry, I cut you off. But so then like, I've, when I've applied for like acting, like film acting things before, a lot of times it says... Um, that they're accepting only union members or equity members. So then how would you get to there if you only get there by being hired? Well, I think you yeah. should just do all the non-union stuff you can do for now to build your resume. Mm -hmm. And then when you see, uh, you can slip into auditions as a, as a non-union person. If okay. they want the, you, yeah. they will make you a union member. And there's other avenues too. There's a Taft-Hartley where they can hire you without making you union, they have that opportunity. So if, they're, if they truly want you, they will get you one way or the other. And there's yeah. also there's other opportunities as well. Where there, like on the equity side, the stage union, there are some houses that will have a mix. The producers has a, have a balance between what they can hire for the union and the non-union side. So you might find that mid-level house that has the balance that you can be hired as a non-union mm -hmm and you get credit towards joining the union. And That's the union's the always changing things. When in doubt, contact the unions. Even if you're non-union, call them. Say, hey, I'm a young, aspiring artist. What do I need to do? 
And you know what? I, I just, you've probably heard this before, but I encourage you to not be afraid to pick up the phone because everybody in this business starts somewhere and to never apologize for the fact that this is where I'm at. If you have the courage to do that, people will actually, you know, be very impressed with you. My grandfather used to always say, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's like <laughs> a thing I've heard all my life. And so be that squeaky wheel, you know. Yeah, don't be, don't be afraid. Great question. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, I'm Ethan. I'm 15. And my question is, I kind of saw this, like, recurring theme in the interview of these turning points for you, Iron Giant, for you, LA, a bunch of other ones as well. What were those, like, most important parts of making those decisions that could change your careers? Okay, say that a little louder at the very end. So your question? Um, like, what were the important parts of making those turning point decisions oh. for your careers? What were that, like, what was the most important part of making that decision? It was the most important part to make that decision. Was it fear? <laughs> fear or, of not or working just also there. having a job. I, having, um, I think, yeah, having a family. But I think I was always very insurance. ambitious. And JW yeah. was always very responsible. So there, were, there was, you know, we have a little bit of a yin I mean, and yang to, thing going. Yeah, to be, to be honest, I think those big, those big decisions are difficult, right? And I, I think that we're different people, and we approach the world differently. But if we, it seems like if we fight out those, those changes, that we'll co we come, usually come to the right decision. But it's not, it's not immediate, it's not fast, and it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's different now because women do have bet more opportunities. But I was always kind of pushing, 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 knowing that he would be able to open doors. That I, I just couldn't. I, I it didn't ma no matter what I did or how hard I worked. It just, I was like, we, you know, we got to move forward. What, you know, what are you going to do about it? I mean, not really, but kind of. <laughs> And the pressure was on him, and he's very responsible, so that part was hard. But in the end, we yielded good results with this kind of dynamic. And I'm sorry, as a woman, that it worked out that way, because I wanted a more even balance. But he took on that role as producer and gave up acting for a long time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. A great question. Uh, hello, um, uh, my name is Seth, and I'm 13. And my question is basically, um, in the animation kind of uh, side of uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the Incredibles, going from like Toy Story where you have these like kind of bony like human humanoid figures that are almost just supposed to be in the background to like a full like film where you follow the struggles and you know the overcomings of this human family. Like, what were the animation struggles for you know making this film based on just like you know these animated humanoid figures, these people? Yeah, it was a big deal for the, at the time for Pixar to, to, to do a, a, a story about humans. The technology really wasn't ready for that at that time, you know, because we started in 2000, so it was 22 years ago we started working on that film. And most of the tech people uh, looked at us like, we, once they saw the story reels, they went, we can't do that. Hmm. We can't do any of it. We can't, you know, we talk about Violet's hair as being a really important part of her character. Well, you know, th there were years, it went three years where that, they couldn't do that hair. And, and I remember sitting across the table from the guys responsible for developing that technology and them saying, 
maybe we might be able to do it. I said, listen, I'm not going to the director and telling him we're cutting Violet's hair. You guys have <laughs> got to figure this out. You know, and we, the movie is coming out in 18 months, so let's get on it, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wasn't she animated without hair for a long time, too, or something? Yeah, sure. Yeah. We, she, oh, you, she was bald, she was completely, she was yeah. bald for years you know, yeah. before they could figure out how to do the hair. And they would show us these tests. They would trick us. They would show us these yeah. beautiful tests. <laughs> and we'd go, great solved and the, but they couldn't do it they couldn't repeat it they could do it once you know but they couldn't do it yeah. for the film so it was it was a big hassle that was a, a the, the major challenge of the incredibles was trying to do all that human stuff which now they can do like which was interesting wall. right yeah. john when it went from incredibles 1 to incredibles 2 there was 14 years between the films and in animation 14 year a year is a lifetime in technology 14 years is eons in technology. So I just remember a lot of the talk with the two was the challenge was almost, it was so good that you have to still make it recognizable to the first That's film. That's right. It, they couldn't, yeah. it couldn't look like they came from different worlds. But if you put them side by side, they, they're pretty different. You know, yeah. The second film is you know, a lot better from a yeah. you know, visual standpoint. That's amazing. All right, thank you. Well, thank you so much, and also thank you for creating probably one of the best animated movies I've ever seen, so. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, um, I'm Denny. Uh, I'm 15. I can't speak today. (laughs) Um, All right. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you, I just turned 15 like a couple seconds ago. Um, My question, well, actually, first of all, thank you for describing Dash as a Ritalin kid. Um, I don't think I've ever heard that before, but that pretty much sums up my... 10 year old self um but what was your favorite part of working with brad bird i'm very curious <laughs> i mean i i think I, I think brad is a great leader and a great director and he is uh he's very inspiring he's he's really good with um talking talking people into doing the impossible you know sort of me included so i think that my favorite part is just you know how uh, how inspiring he is to other animators, and he's he's a gifted writer, he's a gifted director, and he's a gifted animator. And people just love to work for him, you know. And, and so I, it was it was it was great to be involved in projects where the people, you know, that that were working on it were so happy to be there. Yep. Thank you. I can attest to that. Thank you. Hello, uh, so I'm, my name is Chase, I'm 13, and my question is, um, so like, it began as a movie, and then you guys, like, the franchise and like, Incredibles began like, coming really popular to like, Funko Pops, figurines, and now like, a, a ride at Disneyland, so I was wondering, what was you guys' like, reaction, and like, what was the first thing that came to mind when you saw this happening, like, how big it became when you released the movies, and how much like, attention it got? Well, I don't think it it was a surprising because of all the Pixar movies before that. I mean, by the time they did that, you have an answer that may be different from mine. But you know, they got they sent us around the world, and we went to the Oscars and all the award shows and all that stuff. But you know, they had set that precedent with Toy Story and all those other movies, so we were like, oh yeah, well, it's, you it's have to be big. Too, I don't want to step on you too, but the Disney Consumer Products team is amazing they're so good at their job the theme parks team the toys teams the books teams the games teams 
they're talking about, you know, like the juggernaut of what it is to make a movie. There's all, and what all the opportunities there are in the entertainment industry. You can work in theme parks and create the Incredicoaster. Mm-hmm. You can create Cars Land. Um, and so it is kind of, it is a huge industry within the entertainment um uh, world right, yeah. that's just amazing but I do remember coming to your guys' house when we first met you and I saw Mad Comics and you yeah. had the Mad Comics from the Incredibles Institute and it, it is pretty kind of cool to see all these like things. It's, um, yeah, it yeah. is uh, kind of overwhelming you know and especially yeah. coming from the theater where you have two or three hundred, four hundred, five hundred people a night right? I mean The Iron Giant was the first movie I worked on it was a disaster I mean a, no, it, it was terrible it, it, the movie it, is great. The movie is great, but it didn't sell. It didn't sell any it didn't tickets. Do it was a well. financial it's a cool disaster. Though. But more people saw the, the Iron Giant on a disastrous Friday than saw all the work I did in the theater for twenty years. Wow! You know, you start. You start. I mean, the movie business, the worldwide movie business, is so large compared to. The theater business that you just you you almost can't fathom the the orders of magnitude larger it is you know, so it, it's always stunning to me to when we would go around the world and there would be Mr. Incredible in Italy and in yeah. Japan and mm-hmm. in Australia and in New Zealand and in England and Ireland and Mexico and Brazil it, everywhere simultaneously it's just it's stunning. It's stunning what they're able to do. You know? yeah. And a little scary. <laughs> you want to <laughs> yeah. make sure they use those powers for good, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank question. you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. I want to just say something off of what you said about all the different jobs. You know, if you end up in a, in a big showbiz towns like L.A. or New York or Chicago, you know, and just say yes to opportunities, people you meet, and intern in all these different areas that might be interesting to you. That who knows, you know, yeah. where you could end up. There, there's lots of things outside of acting. Even though I think that's the most. Yeah. But what we fabulous. we we talked on the side a lot is that our acting background makes the jobs that we do today so much sweeter. Anyway, we think we're more successful because of our acting background. So, anyways, all right, bringing it to you, Sa. Um, was it fun to like? Make the Incredibles, like, make the personality of them. Was it fun to make the personalities behind the Incredibles yeah. Good question. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it's a, a big team effort to make those things because, I mean, Brad wrote the script, so a lot of it, m- most of it comes from him. But then you have the actors that play those characters, and they bring something to it. And then you have the artists that design those characters, and they bring something to it. And you have the animators who animate them, and they bring something. So it's it's you know it's this huge team effort to to make those things happen. And I think everybody had, for the most part, has a a good time doing that. You know, especially if they love the characters, and we love those characters. They're, mm-hmm. they're really fun characters. This is not The Incredibles, but I remember when we were working on Inside Out, one of the animators, if you remember when they have like a little montage when Riley was like little girl, little baby, there was one scene where she was running around the house naked and the dad was trying to run after her. It was really cute. And that was based on an animator's uh, daughter had done that. And so it, it is this thing where they, they're, everybody's bringing a little bit of their own, their own child, uh, their own experience into the personalities of our characters. It's pretty cool. 
And like the voice of Jack Jack is just is is a combination of three, three yeah. you know, kids of uh, people that work at Pixar just just following them around with tape recorders. <laughs> I mean, just whatever they said, you know, and, and just that there was no nobody directed Jack Jack's dialogue. He just it was just what those kids said. Right? And funny or, enough, or tried to say, you know, because he doesn't really say anything. Incredibles too. <laughs> That all the the recorded um, voice of Jack Jack was what was recorded for Incredibles one. We had to go into the vault to use all of that voice recording. It wasn't a new baby, so that was its own challenge. <laughs> I mean, there was something amazing about the whole collaborative process at Pixar. While I was sitting home alone writing scripts, I, they'd come <laughs> home and talk about all this cool stuff they were doing. It was pretty amazing. And what did you do to prepare for the characters you played in Incredibles one? Uh, I read the script. <laughs> no, you play. You have some voices. I know. Well, I mean, I, I, I was the. Uh, I married them. I was the priest that married them, and Pam. And Pam was the interviewer. Interviewer at the, at the very, at the very top beginning of the movie. You know. Yeah. And he also was on the voice of the on the radio. Oh, of the I was high on speed, the radio. High speed yeah. chase. High speed chase. I was. Did you know? that. And San Pablo so, Avenue. Is that the one? There's one that's like it's got the Easter egg, yeah. the San Pablo Avenue. Yeah. San Pablo Avenue, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But Pam did all the, yeah. she did the interviews at the beginning. And I got to do some walla with a group of people, you know, the background noise. That was fun. Great question. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name's Lee. I'm 12. And I wanted to know, like, why you decided to put the story of The Incredibles out into the world when you could have done something easier or something you thought would make more money. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could have made more money. Incredible, yeah. <laughs> made a lot of money. Made a lot of money, yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I, but I don't think that's it's why. It's a good question. It's a good question. Really good the, question. it wasn't the easy choice. It was. It was I mean, it comes from the writer and the director. It comes from Brad Bird. That was his story. It was kind of a personal story of his about. He felt for a long time he was trying to become a, a director in the movie business. He had a family, and he he felt like he was being a bad director and a bad father and husband. That he couldn't do he, he couldn't do them both, and and that the story comes that's the the impetus of that story that he felt like he felt like Bob. He couldn't be a superhero, and he was being a bad dad, and that that's the. I think that that's why he wanted to tell the that's story. That's the theme coming from his real life. Yeah, and that's always the best work, right? Yeah. The stuff that resonates with people is the stuff that's personal and 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 uh, true. So I think that's that's why I think it's because he felt that that story he wanted to tell that story. Yeah, and when you start writing, if you all start writing, I recommend it. Is um, you want to write something that's personal and heartfelt and I also recommend people writing in a journal taking just sitting in a public space studying other characters studying you know living beings mm -hmm. that makes us better actors but also makes us better writers and if you start with that one monologue or scene before you know it you'll put together a script well and a quick follow-up oh. really quick on that uh, the as a writer, do you make a choice, or is there the thought of, oh, this is going to make a lot of money? No, or is it I just that, that, it is that impetus say, of, uh, I have a story? Well, and that's the thing, you yes. can, it, 
don't, if you're going in this industry to make money, to you think that's the easy that you're not going to be successful. Easier ways. You or want to become famous because that's like winning the lottery. That don't approach it that way. The most successful projects in the entertainment world are the ones that come from heart, are the ones that come from your own personal story, because those are real. That's what we want to see, right? That's what we want to experience. So you don't want to go with the easy choice. You want to go with the choice that's the most right in your heart. And, and, and love the process. Yes. And love the craft. Yes. Yeah. Right. You question. don't want to do stuff because you think it's going to make money. You know, I don't like this, but I know it's going to make a lot of money. So then you work on something you don't like, and it doesn't make money either. So it's like you might as well pour your heart and soul and effort into things that you love and hope for the best because you never know what's going what's gonna to work and what doesn't. Thank you. That was a great question. Great. Thank you. Hi. Uh, first of all, I would like to say thank you so much for being here. Um, I am kind of a super fan. Um, <laughs> but, and Jack Jack Attack was absolutely a genius work of art. <laughs> but I do have a, one quick question and then I have my real question. What happened to the boy Violet Likes? I can't think of his name right now. But between uh, the first and the second one, it's like a whole new person. <laughs> oh, which character? Oh, the, the, Tony Reidinger? To, yeah, Tony oh. Reidinger. Yeah. 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 Me and my friends had a whole discussion when I was we were at Well, you mean the, the way he acts or the way he looks? Both. Both. Mainly well, the way he looks. The way he looks is because we didn't have enough money at the time to make Tony look very good. Every time he comes out that door in the first thing, I'm going like, Oh man, we get, we should have spent more money on Tony, <laughs> and and so we were able to 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 do him justice in the second film. I mean, in the first <laughs> movie he had black hair, and then the second he's like a ginger or whatever. I'm like, yeah, sir. But my real question is, how do you get into the voice acting? Like, I can do a bunch of voices. I love doing voices. Like, this is Barbara. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to get it in like a movie or something. So going into voice acting, like, yeah. what's yeah. that? Like, like going to, into voice acting well, for Pixar. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you're in a, a in an industry city and you register for agents, one of the things they may send you out for are are voice auditions, voiceover auditions. You can take classes in voiceover and just build up a resume, just like you would do in the in theater or film. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is taking classes specifically in voice. That's it, like going in and getting classes in voice is going to be a big difference because if you have that on your resume, it's working with a voice teacher will make it. And I'll tell you one thing, you guys, voice acting, while it is so cool, it is not as glamorous, I guess, as you might think. It, it is just like you're saying a sentence, I'm going to the store. And they're like, hey, can you say it uh, five more times? I'm going to the store. I'm going to the store. No, 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 no. Can you hit store a little bit higher? I'm going to the store. You know, like, it is back and forth uh. for hours and tedious. Um, so it is a workhorse. Uh, 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 yeah. We need yeah, more making, grunts. We need yeah. uh, ten of those. We ah, call those a little more effort. Yeah. And, as you, me about that. Uh, yeah. and as you know, uh, film is a director's medium and theater is an actor's medium. And so a, a director can just chop up all the things you do and say in film and voiceover and make it a completely different performance. Yeah. Right. So and, if you love and, directing and you know making something out of somebody else's performance. And, and very few of the artists that do voice work, for Pixar at least, are ex voiceover artists. Yeah. They're just actors, right? They're just, yeah. just actors that also 
can do that, you know. So it's, you know, there is some specialty stuff for that, for um, voice work. But I think just concentrating on acting is the best thing. Okay, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank Great you. questions. Hi, I'm Niara. I'm 13, and I was wondering how the change was from like producing theater and live action to um, animated films and other things like that, because obviously the um, actors are now acting and showing emotion just with their voice, and how did um, like your job basically differ? It, it, it was different in that, you know, in the theater I was, I was there every night, it, you know, you, you recreate the theater every night, it's new every night and disappears every night, right? Mm. And th this animation is a, is, a, is a marathon, and it is, a, it is a, a million little details, because every, you, you know, whoever figured out or thought about making movies one frame at a time, <laughs> each one of them handcrafted. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, they were insane. That's an insane way to make well, a movie. John, tell, how many frames per second are they uh, of a film that they're working on? And it's, it's 16 frames a second. 24. 24 oh, frames a second. 24 yeah. frames. So and, every and, second of animation, there's 24 individual frames that are touched. Yeah, 16 frames in and a foot. Done. And of, of film. course, you may already have read this, but you know, it takes them four or five years to make each movie at yeah. Pixar. Yeah, it's it's a it's a terrible way to make movies. But it's great. It's uh, great. But you can make a live action movie in a half time. Yeah, but you are indoors. That's the, the other thing about uh, two you know, years. live action. Now You're not out in the rain. IPhone, you, know? you can make the, the film. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Uh, my name's Judge. And uh, I, I think The Incredibles have like the most unique sequel in all of Pixar just because of the time span. And so I was wondering if you could sort of like speak to the 14 years and like what went into it taking that amount of time to get the second one rolling and like what was the process was it you know was it always the plan to make the second one or was there like something that happened within the 14 years to be like okay i guess we should do this it was mostly i mean the first incredibles came out there weren't very many superhero movies it was just there were just a couple there's batman and there was us and and we and after The Incredibles, superhero movies really took off. And, and we just couldn't believe that anybody would want a sec, another superhero movie. We just said, this is going to die out. I mean, this is just a, it's not good. So, you know, we weren't that interested in making another superhero movie. And uh, it, it just, but it became clear that people really did want to see it. And Brad had a pretty good idea for the, for the second one. And it, it, it got interesting when we thought about the idea of it taking place right when the first one ended, because you can't do that in live action. Mm -hmm. You can't wait 15 years and pick the movie up the minute the last one stopped, because your actors have all aged 15 years and you can't do it. But you can in animation, because the, the, their voices didn't change that much. So you can, you can do that. And that, was pretty in, a pretty interesting idea, we thought, was to just ne have no time lapse. Brad was also doing a few projects in between those yeah. things. I kept him a little busy, too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name is Kian. I'm 15 years old. And um, my question is, in the 
producing and like combination with producing and directing process that you guys went through, were there any like really challenging decisions where you had to like make sacrifices or like there was two scenes that were like neck and neck? Was there anything that was like really challenging to make? And what yeah. was like the process? I mean, that, that's a daily occurrence, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, you, there is a, there is, uh, even though we're partners, we are adversaries as well. And, uh, you know, m my responsibility as the producer is make sure that the movie comes out on the date we say it's going to come out and that it costs what we said it was going to cost. And that that means, you know, controlling this massive beast that wants to do everything else but come out on time and come out on budget. It doesn't want to do that at all. It wants to, it wants to take 10 more years and 100 million more dollars. That's what it wants to do. Mm -hmm. And so that process is encapsulated between the interactions between the producer and the director, where the director says, I want this, and I say, you can't have it. <laughs> we fight about that. I mean, that's all we ever did for <laughs> four years is just fight. It's like, what are you trying to, are you trying to screw my movie? Lovingly, yeah. <laughs> lovingly. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to make sure it comes out. You know, we, 5,000 different variations of that conversation. He right? fought really hard for what Brad wanted. Brad yeah. loves him. Yeah, so it's, but it's, you know, the, yeah. the, the classic one, and if you ever watch the, the, the um, behind the scenes stuff from the first uh, Incredibles film, the, there's, a, a bunch of, of me and Brad just fighting about stuff. <laughs> and it's the most embarrassing stuff. Very I, entertaining. I, 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 hate, I hate watching it because it's just like, oh, God, I'm such, now everybody's I'm gonna such go a jerk. I'm such a jerk. Do it. And, and, but it's, if you, that's what making a movie is about. Watch that stuff because that's what it's like every day. You know, and, and we wanted but to make not sure. not in a bad way. No, it but it's, just, yeah, it's good, but it's, it's also really embarrassing. It's what you get paid the big bucks for. Right? Well, it, it's the part that you don't necessarily see. You see the end product and are like, oh, wow, that must have been amazing. And you don't think about the, the daily effort and struggles that went in between the artistic and the money side. Or the yeah, because he's a liaison between yeah. the director and the studio, so he has yeah. to try to make everybody well, happy. Well, there's little yeah. things, too. Like, you, you're also competing with other movies that the, the company is making, so, like, you need animators for 10 more weeks, and they're like, well, we can't give you animators for 10 more weeks because we got to do this. Okay, well, how about I get two animators for this? And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, there's just, all that. It's just negotiation. Yeah. yeah. It's... Yeah. Great question. Thank you. All right, That's a great question, sure. Yeah. Uh, hi, my name's Brutus. I'm 14 and I never learned how to read. That was a bad joke. Uh, <laughs> um, I struggle a lot with um, motivation and stuff. Like, it's miraculous to me that someone can just look at a blank piece of paper and just, I don't know, it's incredible. Haha. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll get to the point. Um, how do you, like, find like motivation, inspiration, and all that jazz. In the world. I mean, I, uh, here's another great thing for actors to do is go to museums, study other types of artwork, and you'll find inspiration all over the world, all over the place, you know? Just get really minute in your observations with all of your senses and take notes about it. Like, you're, you're sitting in the middle of a, a field of flowers, or what is that like to really look look, you know, at, at a painting by a master and figure out what that piece of history was like or listen to the symphony or whatever you do. And music is very inspiring. That's, that's my 
Or get a, you know, get a job at a company where there's other people doing that same thing. And you know, you, you become responsible for your part of that. And, and when and, you're starting yeah. out, recognizing the people that are around yeah. you that you really resonate with that, yeah. that inspire you because you can each inspire each other. And, and like JW and I, we've talked about, you know, our, we have different strengths. And so we've just tried to, I mean, it wasn't conscious, but we, we just amble uh, through the world together using each other's strengths. And we have to battle that out sometimes too, because we have differences about the, what the outcome should be, but it's fruitful, you know, somehow. I, th really quick, I, there's a, a storybook I read to my kids called The Dot. And it makes me think of that. There's this young girl that in an art class doesn't have the motivation, doesn't know, I'm not an artist. Like, I don't know how to be an artist. There's that block that we put on ourselves sometimes that I'm not that person that made that amazing thing. My idea isn't that great. So I don't even know when or how to start. And so a teacher just says, well, just here's a blank piece of paper, just do something with it. And she just puts a dot. Just takes her pencil and dabs it. And he's like, great, now sign it. Okay. And then she looks at it. The next day, I was like, well, I could do better than that. I mean, that's just a dot. I can do this. And by the end of the story, she's made a painting all around the edges of a thing. And so the dot is made out of the unpainted part. Or there's different play with color and other things that all you needed to do was start with a dot and say, that's enough. Sign that, and then wherever motivation takes you from there. Getting past that initial block of I can't to what's possible. That's great, Craig. And I, I also think that we have stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, and they're just stories. Mm -hmm. I am this. I can't do this. I, I, you know, this person's good at that, whatever. These are just stories that we tell ourselves, and the more we tell them, they become ingrained in us, and we think that is who we are, when in truth, that's not who you are. And, and you can do all kinds of, this is another way that theater expands who you are and makes you more you know, self-aware and, and you know, just get yourself out of that negative, mm. I'm not this, I'm, you know. Absolutely, great yeah. question, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Sydney, and I, my question was, what tips would you have for people who are interested in directing? Oh. What advice for directors? Mm -hmm. yeah. Observe what your director is doing when you're acting, if that's where you start out, and see if you can intern and take directing classes and of course, you have to know the script inside and out, really study that when you, when you become a director and kind of you know, know how to help other actors make their choices and be able to collaborate with all the designers. So you have to know, like he found out what everybody's job was at Pixar. You have to kind of know what everybody's working on, the theme of the show and, and how everything is kind of uh, goes toward that theme and the design and so you really have to dig in and it's a great profession and it so knowing actors really really well is a wonderful start yep. and knowing their process but but a study all, you know directing is a mix of all the arts right sound music design acting movement lighting it's like it's all the arts come together in that one job. And you're as good as the yeah. people that yeah. collaborate with you. 
So knowing that knowing yeah. good design and knowing what you want musically and thinking about projects, uh, even a, a, if you're doing scene work here, it's like how would you how would you design the set for that scene? How, how, what would the lighting be like? What kind of music would you use for it? What what costumes and what colors and all of that? That directors have to think of all of that and and be able to direct all those other de departments to to come together in a, well, in a you know, cohesive Well, you know, and Pixar let me direct a live action a short, half hour short called Trifles. I got to work with uh, all Pixar cast and crew because I was also teaching acting there. And um, it was great because there were certain things that I really didn't know. I didn't know a lot about camera, what, what kind of lens or what camera moving, or we'd go to these meetings. I had to be able to make decisions but I also trusted the people I was working with. So what he's saying is, yes, you, you, know, you have to know these different things, but you can also work with people who are better than you in that, that know better. That's, I think that's the ultimate goal. Work with people who are better than you in their own um, area of expertise. Anyway, I don't know if that no, answers. No, that's great, that absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name's Ian, I'm 15. Um, this is a slightly nerdy question, but uh, I was wondering why most of the, or most, almost all of the villains in Incredibles are uh, tech related. Like they have tech to compensate for their lack of powers. Is there like a reason behind that, or like? Well, I think I think it was to to contrast against superpowers, right? That the the villains are not super. They don't they don't have powers. They have technology, and uh, and the. The Incredibles themselves have these innate powers, right? So there think, wasn't like a reason why like you know, the villains had powers, or like yeah, just to be a, just a c contrast between right. sort of you know natural powers and unnatural powers. I think was the idea. Thanks. Yeah. Hi, um, my name is Andonia. I am 16 years old, and uh, my question is, uh, what was your inspiration for characters like Lucius, or Frozone, uh, Edna Mode, and uh, Syndrome? Well, they weren't, they weren't my inspirations, right? I didn't write the script. You know, Brad Bird wrote the script. Right. I think that uh, E, uh, Edna, was, he always described as a, a, a mixture of, uh, you know, um, I've forgotten this designer's name. Um, um, Edith, Edith Head, Head. Edith Head, and a, a Japanese German Edith Head. So <laughs> Edith Head is a very famous uh, costume designer from 1930s and 40s right. movies. Yeah. And Lucius, I, you know, I don't know, you know, Sam Jackson was always in the back of everybody's mind for for Lucius, certainly. Um, <laughs> And then the family is, you know, I think it is based off the superpowers, you know. Uh, I don't know, is that... And then Syndrome, yeah. did you yeah. have one for... She's saying Syndrome. Oh, Syndrome. syndrome. I mean, the villains are always the hardest in these things, right? It's like trying to, trying to figure out what to do with it. Because he, he, Syndrome really wasn't the villain in the beginning. He, 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 there was this very complicated trio of villains, and I even have a, a maquette, a statue of one of the, the original villain that's in our in our dining room, you know, but we, we killed him off because there was a, just a little scene where Syndrome came in early on when we were doing the story reel and Syndrome came in and threatened the baby and once we showed that to everybody they went, 
oh, that's your villain. That's your guy. Don't kill him. Because we <laughs> killed him off in that, that first scene. They said, no, he, that's your guy. Get rid of these other ones. They don't work. Hire, hire this guy. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, and then one quick thing on Edna. Most people know, but some might not, who voiced her, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, yeah Brad, the director. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Well, we got one last-minute question here. This will be our last one. Right. Um, hi, my name is Romy, and I'm 10 years old, and I was work. Um, I was... Wondering if you guys were ever planning on making another Incredibles movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that Pixar is planning on it, but I don't know when or, or who will make it. You know? I, don't know if, I don't know if Brad or I will be involved. You know, it's, uh, he is retired from Pixar, and it does not have his NDA anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, all of you. <laughs> well, uh, campers, this was an amazing... Uh, One real quick thing I want to say yes. to you guys, just a really quick note, that it was something that came up to me the other day when I was thinking about doing this, is Craig and I are here interviewing Pam and John, and it, we're two married couples with children that came into the entertainment industry. And I just wanted to kind of point that out to you guys and to know that you can... Do that as well. You can have that full life of having a family and going into the arts world because sometimes, a lot of times, you don't see that a lot. So I just wanted to kind of point that out. That look at us. We yeah, can and do it's it. not it's no? not always the uh, the stars that are dating and married for a year and then break up. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, everyone, thank you so much, and please thank John and Pam. I absolutely loved hearing that. I mean, uh, like, I, I've always loved animation. I've always loved 3D animation. I mean, and and to hear the behind the scenes, you know, of, of how something goes from the page to the screen. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, and, and the people behind it, because those people are passionate, so passionate about those things. And they're not just the voiceover actors. They're not just, you know, the talent behind it, but they are the talent. And so cool know? that the talent was able to create the same characters, like John said, at the same later. moment in time, 15 years later. That so is cool. so insane. Mm-hmm. So Craig T. Nelson gets to come back and all of a sudden be a superhero again, even though 15 years has passed. I know. <laughs> Pitch to Pixar right now, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. big Pixar fan. And they're listening. What they, they listen to every episode. Obviously. AJ, what kind of character mm-hmm. are you desperate to create for Pixar? Mm. Um, well, obviously, I'd love to be a superhero, but I think like a living, uh, like a, a, a talking gorilla would be super fun to play. I don't know. You like, know, yeah, I, the the um, per- like, personification yeah. of something that doesn't normally have a voice. Oh, exactly. No, I, I love that stuff. I love it. I'm yeah. begging Pixar. I don't want to be in it. <laughs> Because uh, I don't speak Italian, but I'm begging Pixar for a Luca too. Oh, a sequel! Yeah, I need yeah, a Luca. I knew too. it. Yeah, absolutely. It. I'm obsessed with Luca. Do you know that the pint glass that I drink out of at home is is Luca? Oh, I've seen like, it. Like, yeah, I know, I know. It's sort of ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone, thanks for joining us. We're gonna see you. Uh, well, I mean, I'm gonna see you because I look in through your phone. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. know if you know how phones work, but I watch you while you listen to this podcast. Make sure and like and subscribe. Share. That's right. Uh, share We're on us. all the platforms at Camp YTC. Every social. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They're all there. The TikToks. The, the Instagrams. Join us on them all. And uh, we will see you. Uh, well, I will see you because, again, I look through your phone. Sure. 
We'll join you next week where we have an incredible guest, someone that I look up to, and he's a foot shorter than me and about 30 (laughs) years younger than me. Ruby Wood from Better Nate Than Ever joins us on next week's pod. Amazing. Can't wait for it. Um, Yeah, and uh, subscribe, uh, rate and review, all of that stuff, and it will be a wonderful episode, as they all are, next week on the Young Actors Theatre Camp Podcast.